last week I asked you to begin the series, what you thought of when you thought of Christmas, right? And then specifically, we talked about what we would put on our Christmas list of things that we want most. And that kind of reflects like what's important to us and what our priorities are. Um, But I think during the Christmas season and actually just any season of the year, uh, I think most of us or some of us have a very specific list of things that we have to get done, right? When we reach different seasons of our lives, and especially in the Christmas season, there's just things to do, right? Or things that we have to focus on, whether that be buying gifts, whether that be getting Christmas cards made and sent out, uh, whether it's uh, figuring out, you know, work situation or getting vacation days or planning a vacation or maybe homework assignments or deadlines and things that you have to get um, done before Christmas, or maybe it's uh, going on a diet so that you can eat a lot on Christmas Day, right? This list that we all have goes on and on. And I think it's quite normal, right? Even aside from the holiday season, we all have like this to-do list, okay? I don't know about you, uh, but I have these sticky notes uh, that I post everywhere. I have my little whiteboard. I have, you know, on my computer, on my phone, a task of things that I always have to do. And the list never goes away. There's always something that needs to be done, okay? Uh, And for many of us, I think as we get older, um, there's always we always find something that needs to be accomplished, right? There's always something to do, right? Some of us, when it comes to like vacation, we take our work with us on vacation, right? Some of us, we think when we have something done, there's always another thing on the plate, right? You pay the bills. Oh, well, now I need to start working on taxes. Oh, I finished my taxes. Now I need to uh, refinance my home or whatever it may be. Okay, I think you get the point, right? There's always something for us to do. So our list of priorities, okay, or our list of to-dos goes on and on. And it's something that we can never really escape. But the real question becomes, what is it exactly that I am prioritizing? Am I prioritizing the right things or am I prioritizing the wrong things? I think this question becomes one of the most important questions uh, when it comes to finding and achieving some kind of balance in our lives, right? As we get older, we realize uh, and we learn to prioritize things in our lives that reflect what really matter, right? The things that are pressing in our lives, the things that we value more, we start to uh, rearrange and change our kind of to-do list, our priority list uh, to reflect those things, right? Um, There's a short uh, 25-minute film that usually gets shown around the Christmas season, but it's called um, A Charlie Brown's Christmas. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, if you've seen it, maybe you grew up watching it. Um, I definitely enjoy just Charlie Brown in general, so uh, I enjoy just Charlie Brown anything. But uh, basically, what this short 25-minute film is about uh, is about Charlie Brown who is like confused. Okay, He's confused, he's depressed, he's not really excited for the holiday season. Um, and so in his quest to find what the true meaning of Christmas is or what Christmas is really all about, he goes on the search... Uh, of of asking people what Christmas meant to them or seeing what it meant to them, right? So for example, Snoopy, okay, his dog, uh, is all about like decorating his house in hopes of winning a cash prize in, in a um, competition, right? Sally, okay, in, in Charlie Brown, writes this letter to Santa, okay? But Charlie Brown isn't fond of any of these things, right? He looks to these things and he thinks, it's like, man, you guys are so materialistic, um, like commercial is so commercialized, like, What's the point of Christmas? Like, I don't get this, right? I don't like this, okay? So, uh, Charlie Brown then, uh, after he talks to um, 
I uh, forget her name all of a sudden, but basically talks to this one girl and then she offers him the role of directing and leading the annual Christmas play that they have every year. And in hopes of trying to find the true means of or true meaning of Christmas, Charlie Brown takes up this offer. Okay. Um, and so one of the things as he's like preparing and it shows scenes of him, like, you know, working with like the cast and whatnot. Uh, one of the things that he has to do, one of the final things for the Christmas play is he has to go and get this Christmas tree, right? It's kind of the centerpiece of the set. Uh, but instead of picking the traditional aluminum commercialized style Christmas tree that they traditionally picked and that they were all selling, he finds this small little sickly looking uh, uh, real tree um, that he believes is perfect and that just needs a little bit of love, okay? So others obviously look at him, make fun of him. They think it's a terrible decision. Uh, but long story short, in the process, Linus okay, recites the nativity scene of the gospel, from the Gospel of Luke and explains that, Charlie Brown, this is what Christmas is really all about. Okay? So in the end, Charlie Brown, even the others, come to realize that Christmas was more than just a play, more than just the decorations, more than just the Christmas list and things that they had to get done. But Christmas was really about love, family, friends, and a reminder of what Jesus has done uh, into the coming of this world, right? So in short, uh, Charlie Brown film, when we see this film, we, we look at the story of the nativity, we may have priorities in our lives that we see and value as important, but we soon will discover that God maybe has other plans and other priorities actually in store for us. So in order for us to better understand how we can reorder our priorities to reflect the will of God, rather than necessarily the things that we want, uh, we're going to look at uh, Joseph, right? The father, the earthly father of Jesus. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, um, and I'll have it here on the screen as well. But Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse 18 to 19. And this is what it says. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus uh, the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to marry, uh, to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. I don't know why it's not changing. Okay. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Okay. So this is how we start the story. We find this man who seemingly had all his priorities right. Okay, in the eyes of the world. But in the eyes of God, as we'll soon discover, that priority, God's priority, supersedes the priority of Joseph. Uh, I think to better grasp kind of this ideal and kind of the significance of this, uh, we need to talk a little bit about Jewish marriage, right? So uh, in biblical times, Jewish, uh, the marriage was conducted in three stages, okay? So the first stage was the engagement stage, right? Now, usually there was a contract that was arranged between the family members, to determine whether or not the couple was compatible with each other, right? And for future mother, uh, for future marriage, right? And you didn't really get a say, okay? As an individual that was about to get married, you had no say. Okay? The family decides for you and uh, who your partner will be. Then you go to the second stage, which is called the betrothal. okay? The betrothal is basically a public announcement of the engagement that was made, okay? And then what they do, which is interesting, is they have this one-year time period uh, for the couple to become known to the public as belonging to one another. But this is the difference, okay? Rather than being able to live together or to be together, uh, they actually did not live together, right? 
Uh, but they had the rights of being husband and wife, just not together. Okay. And then the third stage, which is uh, what, which is the final stage, which is marriage. So usually after the end of the one year of uh, betrothal, uh, they would get married and it would be a done deal. Okay. So the process is kind of long. Uh, it's a minimum of at least like a year or so uh, for a couple to come together. But this is where it gets interesting. Okay. In the first stage of Jewish uh, biblical marriage, uh, it's very normal. Okay. For things to not work out, right? If things didn't work, if they found that maybe like it just wasn't really a match, then it would it was pretty easy to just kind of cut the relationship there and move on. But in the stages afterwards, uh, Jewish law had very complicated and very strict measures into how you could go about uh, in the latter parts of the marriage. For example, um, the other two stages, uh, stage two and stage three are more known for their public display of marriage to people, okay? So for all to see, so the legal way, the only legal way that a Jewish person was able to get divorced, according to tradition, um, uh, was was for, um, well, to end a marriage was through divorce, right? That was the only way they could legally end it was if they got a divorce. Um, and this was during the time, uh, 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 this is during the second stage or the third stage. Now, uh, the Bible gives only a few grounds for divorce for a few special cases and reasons, uh, while at the same time, uh, Jesus even very heavily emphasizes the importance and the sacredness of marriage and maintaining that. But in the second stage of marriage, right, the betrothal, typically divorce was not something that was possible because the relationship has already become a public display of uh, the relationship, right? So when we find Joseph here during the story of Jesus's birth, it says that Joseph was being faithful to the law, okay? He wasn't doing anything wrong necessarily, okay? He was doing what was written to the law. To Joseph, the priority for him was I need to follow the law, right? Mary has been unfaithful in some way. She's pregnant and we're at a time where we're not even supposed to be together, so for him, it was very natural. Okay, well, this is the condition I need to end the marriage, okay? Um, but it's really interesting because what we find here is Joseph actually doesn't divorce Mary. It says that he has it in his mind, but he actually doesn't divorce her, right? He's just thinking of it. But notice the manner in which he does this. And to be honest, I think this is actually kind of cute, right? Uh, I know that's kind of weird to describe the Bible that way, but it's kind of cute. Okay. If you look at verse 19, it says that Joseph did not want to expose her to public disgrace. And so in his mind, he had the thought of divorcing her quietly. You see, the other priority that Joseph had, second to the law, was Mary, okay? which is, I think is really cute. Okay? But, but think about this. Okay? Traditionally, like I said, the second stage of marriage meant two people were getting to know each other, right? Uh, and, and we're getting and people outside of the marriage. We're getting to know them as a couple. But Joseph had gone through the plan. If Joseph had gone through the plan uh, of divorcing Mary with lawful reason for the fact that she was pregnant and they weren't together, Joseph still had her in mind. Right. He wanted to do it quietly. He wanted it so that for one, uh, it wouldn't leave a negative image on himself, but ultimately it wouldn't taint the image of Mary. Okay, so most likely he was trying to prevent any kind of problem and issue because he had so much care and affection for Mary 
he didn't want it to be a big commotion, right? And some of you guys may say like, oh, well, he was really doing it for himself. But you have to think like, like really, the person that's more protected is the guy. And so for the fact that he was thinking of Mary and willing to do this quietly to protect her was, I think, is very romantic. But anyways, um, so you see, uh, Joseph's practical priority for him was to not only take care of his own reputation, but to also take care of the reputation of Mary. Thus, to do it quietly uh, and in secret. Right? But however, very clearly, we find here that God's priority for Joseph uh, was that he should care for Mary and this future baby. So practically speaking, right, put yourself in this, in this situation. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a very easy decision because in a social sense, Joseph would face the shameful situation, right? People would know that, hey, either he was marrying someone uh, that had been unfaithful to him or Mary and Joseph had a baby when they were not supposed to even be together. So both scenarios, regardless of whatever scenario happened, would have caused serious damage to his reputation and to her reputation at that time. But this is the thing. The priority of... Uh, that God had in mind for Joseph was far more important than any of Joseph's earthly priorities. And this, despite the fact that we see Joseph doing what is lawful and what he sees as righteous, what according to the law and tradition is right, despite that, Joseph goes beyond, above and beyond to try and think of a way to do it so that her reputation isn't tainted. Let's continue reading uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse uh, 20 to 25. It says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared, uh, appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sin. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until that she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Okay, so you see Joseph in this kind of situation clearly was afraid, right? We know this because of the response that uh, the angel uh, gives to Joseph, right? He says, hey, don't be afraid. Okay, so we know that Joseph was uncertain. Imagine the amount of stress Imagine the amount of of worry that he now has to face because his reputation, his whole conception of righteousness, his future for Mary, like all of these things are now up on uh, in the air. Yet when Joseph hears the priority that God has for him, even though it went against everything that he grew up knowing and understanding, Joseph had to realign his priorities with what the with the priorities that God had for him. You know, and that's something that I, I have to come to think about. Because Joseph placed God higher up on his priorities, he was able to recognize this and take the switch from his earthly priorities of image, his pride, and his status to the priority of what God had in store for him. And I personally think that Uh, We too, when we begin to reevaluate our priorities and try to realign them with God's will, we see something very similar happening. 
Okay? When we learn to prioritize God first, that means your list of priorities will be shaken. Okay? No doubt in my mind. You will become uncomfortable. You will find struggle because God's priorities might look very different than what you have in mind. Now, and so for Joseph, this was the case, right? Joseph's priority of his image, of Mary's image, uh, doing things the right and the lawful way. If Joseph were to follow God's will, God's priorities, then his own priorities had to be let go of. Okay? Ellen G. White shares this quote, and I think it's very applicable in many senses. Uh, and I shared this last night with the kids. One of my favorite and very powerful quotes. Uh, Ellen G. White says this, The closer you come to Jesus, the more faulty you will appear in your own eyes. For your vision will be clear, and your imperfections will be seen in broad and distinct contrast to his perfect nature. And how true is that, right? How true is it that our priorities versus God's priorities and his will, okay? When we draw closer to him, when we draw closer to God, we start to see our wrongs, our faults. We'll see how our priorities are wrong or maybe not in the right place. And naturally, that change will come as we draw closer to him. And that's the key thing. When we change our priority to God first, then everything else falls in place. But sometimes more often than not, I think we, we run into a brick wall, right? We, what I mean is, is we, we run into to doubt or maybe even fear. Maybe you guys have fear. When it comes to following God's will or realigning our priorities to, to reflect the priorities that God has for us, sometimes we feel like, man, I don't know if this is right, right? It pulls and tugs against every single thing in my life that I know uh, what is to be true, okay? And how many of us have felt this where we're just so uncertain, right? I definitely have for sure. When we look at Matthew chapter 6, we find a series of teachings from Jesus about this kind of new way of kingdom living, right? A new way to live, something that was unconventional to the way that people lived then and for us even today. But if you look specifically at Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 34, you see, you see Jesus talking about this ideal of not having to have worries, right? Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 and 34 says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Okay? Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. Okay? I think the message gets recycled a lot. We talk about it a lot. Right. Uh, when I first came to Glendale and I was visiting houses, I shared a devotion and I used this verse. Um, it's used. Even today's message, I'm sure many of you, if not all of you, have already heard this message. It's not new. Okay. We learn this all the time. We hear it all the time. We need to seek God first. We need to learn to seek God and seek His will. But the biggest question mark I feel like a lot of us run into is like, how do we do it? Right. Like how? We say it all the time. It's hard. It's so hard to seek God's will. What does that look like for me? I think it's challenging because we think like, well, I'm, I'm going to seek God through my worship. I'm going to stop playing video games. I'm going to stop watching movies. I'm going to stop listening to this kind of music. I'm going to stop reading these kind of books. And, and we think like, oh, if I just stop these things, then, and I just do all of these other things, like I, I'll read my Bible more. I'll go to Bible studies. I'll, I'll pray more. I'll, I'll worship more diligently, right? I'll raise my hands when I sing, right? We think that we see God in so many different ways, right? But, but still we, we fall and we falter and we still have these worries. Sometimes we get so caught up and we're just like, man, I, 
how do I know this is right? How do I know like God wants me to do this? How do I know God is going to provide for me? I think it's so hard for us in our human nature to not worry, right? We, we tend to be the very worrisome kind of people. But you see, I want you to hear this, okay? Hear this. Seeking God and His kingdom, rather than being consumed by worry about daily needs, requires a deep trust in God's goodness and His ability to care for those very needs. Church, that's, that's really what we need, right? Maybe if we say we're seeking God, maybe if we say we're going to church and doing all these things that we think God wants for us, but we are still filled with so many paralyzing worries and fears, maybe we have a trust in God. Maybe we do say like, yeah, God, you're, you're important to me. I trust and believe in you. But maybe the trust is not deep enough. Maybe we still have other priorities that we're placing above God. Maybe that's why we are still filled with worry. Maybe if we learn to replace the other priorities that we have in our life with God and His will, if we truly learn to put everything into that, then everything else I have been unmuted by one of my co-hosts, or muted by my co-host. Okay, uh, anyways, uh, if we learn to replace that priority of other things in this world and truly put God at the center of it, then everything will naturally fall in place. Church, I want to challenge you to take the time to really reflect on how much do you really trust in God's goodness and for the fact that God has an ability to take care of of your needs. You know, my message today, the whole point and the purpose was teaching us how to, or reminding us and getting us to think about how we can um, realign our priorities to reflect the will of God. And I think it's so important for us that if we are to do so, before we can even get to the point where we can reflect God's will and priority in our life, we must first learn to have a deep trust in his goodness and his ability to care for our needs. And that's when, like Joseph, we can learn to let go of, of, of what we think is right and lawful. The things that we, we hold on to, the preconceived notions that we, we grasp and say, well, this is it, this is it. And we can learn to be more willing to listen to the calling that God has in our life. This past week, there was a song that showed up on my YouTube recommendations. Um, and it was just random. You know, I was just working on stuff and it just like played automatically. Uh, but there were some really beautiful lyrics that kind of just spoke to me. And I thought was very fitting when it comes to this ideal of realigning our priorities, but ultimately learning not to worry uh, when we place God's priorities as first in our lives. The lyrics of the song go like this. It says, Don't need to know what comes next. Tomorrow is in your hands. I can trust you with my future because you're already there. And I know you guys are like, okay, well, that's great. But for me, it just hit me, right? It just hit me and it made me realize that, that when we learn to have a faith and we learn to have a walk with Christ that really learns to prioritize God first and then allow everything to fall in place, that the worries naturally will disappear, right? To say that the worries are, uh, are, are something that, that will no longer be ex- like in our lives, uh, I think is um, an overstatement. Uh, definitely, 
having struggles, having worries is going to be a part of it. But I think the really big picture is, is the worries no longer hold us back. The fear and the worry and the, and, and the anxiety no longer has control on our lives. Because we know that God has everything in control. So church, I want to ask you today, do you really trust in God? Do you have a deep trust in God? Do we really hold on to the promise that He has everything in control? And when I say everything, I mean, I mean everything, right? Are we willing to move past what we think and believe is our, our will and what is right for us, of what we think maybe God's will is for our life? And maybe just listen and trust what God has in store for you and I. Church, I pray that we all can, that one day, and maybe this Sabbath will be the opportunity for us to reflect and reorder our priorities to really reflect God's will, right? To reflect God, to seek Him, to fall in love with who He is, what He's done, to hold on to all the promises that He shared. But I also pray that we continue to ask God, and this is a daily prayer for me, and I pray that that we can start praying this together as a church, that we can ask God to give us a new heart, to give us a new spirit, right? To take our heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. And I pray that during this holiday season and during the end of this year, we can truly learn how to deeply depend and trust in God, to listen and to be open to Him and to truly reflect the will that God has in our lives. Church, I pray that when we think of our priorities, that we are open to what God has in store for us. That is my prayer for you, church. Uh, let us wrap up with a little prayer.